It's because oftentimes when we enter in, we engage into this Christian wall, we've got this mindset that, that, that God, God is somehow reacting to what's going on on the earth. There, there's a mindset that, okay, okay, now this is happening, and so I'm going to respond to that. And that, that's, just not, that's just not the way God operates. You see, we, we, we've got God in this finite mindset, this humanized, we're creating God in our own image if that's our, our, our thought process because the truth of the matter is before the foundation of the world, God established things and, and he, doesn't, he doesn't veer from his plan. His plan was established. He knows the beginning from the end. He, he, knows, he, he knows everything that's going to happen. He's not, he's not confined to space or time. It's hard for us to, to, to fathom that, you know, God, God's not limited in that. Uh, we, we know and scientifically are uncovering some, some things that are telling us that there are a lot of different time dimensions that we, we hadn't got our hands around. And so, and so we have to understand that God's plan very, from the very beginning was in place, and all we're doing is walking out that plan. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, the reason I'm kind of hanging on this particular topic is because I just hear all kind of stuff uh, that's going on in the church world and in our nation, that I think we really need to be solid on some things. Um, there, there is a big movement right now in, in, in the church that really has a problem with a God who sends people to hell. I mean, there's, there's a lot of that going on. We have worship leaders that, that, are, that are walking away from God, walking away from the faith. We have pastors that are falling and stumbling. And the reason they're doing it is, is they're, they're, they're just having a hard time understanding, you know, some of the things that are written in and have been uh, uh, things that the church has been examining for years. You know, it's not a new subject that it's hard for us to understand how God can send somebody to hell. You know, people have been writing books on that for generations. And so let me just clear the air with the Eastside Church right now. God did not design hell for you. God did not design hell for the human race. God designed hell for all the angels, the devil and all his angels, who turned against him. And he established a way that we could have dominion. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that we were created in the image of God. And that probably refers to qualities like reasoning, personality, intellect, and the capacity to relate to each other, to be able to hear and to see and to speak. All these things are characteristics of God. And we were created in his image, and he chose to reproduce himself in mankind. And so, and so we're created in an image, and in that moment, he gave us dominion over everything on the earth. God created man to be, be his kingdom agent from the very beginning. We said it in that song, or Bulo might have said, yeah, prayed it up front. He said, you know, we're priests, we're sons, we're, we're all these things, we're the elect, we're, we're the ones that God has, has put in charge to have dominion and be the kingdom agent to the world, to, to rule and subdue 
everything that was created, including the aggressive satanic forces. He gave us dominion even over those things which would uh, set itself against the destination of the kingdom of God on earth. And then man choose, chose to fall, chose to sin. And, and, and sometimes we, we act as if that caught God off guard. But, but it didn't catch God off guard. Matter, matter of fact, he was, he was sitting there ready. And he says, where, where are you? And, and he even had a, a redemption plan from the very beginning. From the moment that happens, what you see is God beginning to establish a redeeming plan for mankind. And so he's not responding to Adam's choice to sin. He's not going, whoosh. Whoops. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, Jesus. Plan A is scrapped now. Let's go to plan B. Because I never saw this coming. You know, it, it, it helps us when we understand that God saw the curse coming. And he saw what sin would do, and he knew what sin would do. But his plan all the time was to use Jesus as the agent that would restore man back to God so that we could have dominion over sin. And there was always a way to have that dominion again, to take back that which was stolen. So God had a redemption plan all along. Matter of fact... <laughs> I just think it's, I mean, when you put all this together, and I'm not teaching on this today, it's just hard for me not to talk about it. But when God, God you know, the curse is bore fruit. Uh, the sin bore the fruit, and it was called a curse. You know, God didn't, God didn't say, okay, 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 here's your punishment. I'm mad at you. And so, and so, let me think of something I can really do to you. That'll, that'll, that'll get your attention. That's not what he did. He says, this is going to bring about this fruit. And to combat that, this is how I'm going to align things. And I think it's so beautiful that we see in a, with a husband and wife that God says, I want to establish this relationship in a marriage that looks like the relationship of the Godhead. And if you align yourself with that, there's going to be redemption. In other words, there's an equality in marriage. And the two shall become one flesh. There's equality in marriage, but there's also authority in marriage. There's also submission in marriage. It, it looks just like the Godhead. Jesus said, I don't do not one thing. I don't say not one thing that the Father is not doing or saying. The Holy Spirit says, my job is to reveal the truth to you, everything that Jesus said and the Father has done. But they're all God. And we see that, that redemptive thing. He says, this is going to be your tendency, ladies, but I've redeemed it. Guys, this is who you are. This is what the curse brought, but here's your avenue to redemption. 
You see, God is never caught by surprise. He's given us the ability to have dominion over it. And when Jesus died and the Holy Spirit came, it gave us the power over sin and death. And he gave it to every human being, everyone that would be baptized in Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. So, so we see that, that God gave us dominion. We were created in his image. We have dominion over even hellish satanic forces. And, and then we see the encounter uh, that Jesus has with Satan. Jesus has this encounter with Satan. And, and we have to understand that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into this encounter. Since the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out in, in the wilderness. And it, it is funny to me that you see, and you're going to see how I'm going to tie all this together. So grab a hold of all this. You see how Satan offers Jesus an alternative plan to the plan that Jesus helped design before the foundation of the world. So Jesus helps design this plan of redemption of the ability to have give man the dominion over hellish forces so that he can have victory and, and prosper in every way. And Satan says, listen, listen, let me show you all the kingdoms of the world. And if you'll bow down and worship me, I've got the keys to those. And he did. He wasn't offering anything that hadn't been taken. He said, you bow down to me and I give you those keys. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I know the real plan. I know the redeeming plan, and I'm sticking to that. I'm going to agree with the plan that was established before the foundation of the world. You see, all this has already been established. All this has already been planned out, including the judgment which you aren't supposed to participate in. Jesus didn't come to judge. He came to bring life. He didn't come to condemn you. He came to bring life to you. And so we see this encounter and we see that Jesus didn't take the bait that Satan had put in front of him. He agreed with the Father. And when he did... Jesus says he went to hell to take back the keys because the grave no longer had power. There's this, now listen, in every aspect of Scripture, from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation, in the Revelation, this plan was already planned. This thing is already planned out. There's, there's no surprises Jesus tells us that all this stuff is coming. And he says, I don't even know the time or the place, but it's coming because it's already been planned out. Only the Father knows exactly when that's going to happen. And when he tells me, I'll go do it. He's still in agreement with the Father, but he's still God. He takes back the keys and then he gives them to us. So that gives us Authority. Jesus' work at the cross, taking back the keys, gives us the authority to have dominion over hellish forces. Now, I'm saying all this because, because there's so much bad theology out there, 
And, and it's, really, it's really simple. It's really simple. What you see with Jesus and what you're going to see in the story of Saul and David is that you either can align yourself with Scripture and God or you align yourself with hellish forces. It's really pretty black and white. You do one or the other. That's why in every decision you make, you and I make, we've got to come to a place where we're going to agree with God or not. What does the Word say? What's the Holy Spirit revealing about what Jesus said about this situation? We've got to make a decision to align or agree with God. So, so we're sons. We're daughters, Stephen. We're, we're priests. I love how God does all this stuff. And you didn't even have any idea what was going on this morning. The songs we sang were amazing compared to what we're looking at. We're, we're ambassadors Ambassadors bring the kingdom ideology to whoever they go see. Wherever we go, we bring kingdom with us. That's, our, that's who we are. That's what God calls us. We carry his authority, but we only carry his authority when we are in agreement with him. And, and, so, and so God got this plan from the very beginning of time when he creates man to the very consummation of history at the end of history that he's already designed. that He's not flying by the seat of his pants. In other words, everything that happens to you, he's not flying by the seat of his pants. He's not surprised. He already knows your heart. He knows the thoughts and the intents of your heart. And, and the main thing, listen to me, this is so important. The only decision you've got to make is whether you're going to agree with God or not. That's the only decision. He, he's got it laid out. And he says, you choose blessing or curse. How do you choose a blessing? How do you choose a blessing? You agree. How do you choose a curse? You disagree. You think you've got a better way. You don't quite trust God to handle it right. God's not quite moving fast enough for you. And so I'm going to take matters into my own hands a little bit. I mean, you see the church, I don't quite understand this, and, and so until I do understand it, I'm really not going to bite. I'm not going to buy into it. I'm just going to kind of sit back and see what happens. All those postures are postures of the heart. And I want to show you how important it is for a heart that says, whatever you say, Lord, I want to give thanks to you, God. God, I, I, my answer is yes. What do you want me to do? And you say, well, that sounds like a robot. No, it's a guy that knows, a guy or gal that knows their God. And their God is good, and they know their role, and they know when they don't line up with hell, then they're going to prosper. Because our God is good, and our God works everything for good for those who love him. And John, uh, 1 John 4, uh, 17 says, you, you can't. You can't love God without obedience. Obedience says that you love me. And so, and so all things work together for good for those who love God, who are obedient to the way of God, and are called according to His purpose. 
So don't expect things to work together for good just because you made a profession of faith when you were six. It's just not going to happen. Every day, every moment, God's mercies are new every morning. And we come to a place where we could choose to align ourselves with Him. And there's going to be all kinds of choices throughout the day that allow you to align yourself with the ways of God. And as you do, you will make your way prosperous. I can't tell you how important it is for the church today to align themselves financially with the ways of God. I see so much abuse. I, I, I see so many excuses for massive amounts of debt, for irresponsible impulse buying. And then we wonder why we're in the places we're in five years later. We feel like we're drowning and we just can't get out. And we made every decision along the way. Every one of those decisions was a possibility to choose the kingdom of God. And so God's got this plan. He's not surprised. He's not playing it by ear. He's giving you authority to choose life or choose death. Choose the curse or choose the blessing. And that is how we have authority. That's it. You see, we want, and there's this tendency to, to, to help the, make the church believe because of its condition that all you got to do is say it, and it's true. No, all you got to do is align with Scripture. You don't have to shout down hell. Oh, I'm going to shout down hell. No, in your heart. And in, you know, verbalize, believe that I'm going to align myself with the Word. Hell leaves. It scatters. It runs. Resist the devil. How do you do that? You resist his way of thinking. You resist his way of doing, and you do what? You align with the Word of God, and when you do, he will flee. You don't have to stomp, even though stomping's good, fervency's good, loudness is great, heaven's going to be loud. Everybody say hallelujah this loud. All you quiet people, you're going to have to adjust when you get in heaven. It's going to be loud. <laughs> there's this authority that comes only with alignment with the Word of God. Now, let me just say something about grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit used to come on men, and He would empower them. And He had prophets, and He had kings, and He would come on those that were in authority, and they would lead a people. They would lead a people in a way, and then, and then you know, they could either, you know, you see it all the time in Kings, you know, uh, uh, you know, the people did what was right in their own eyes, or, or this king, you know, tore down all the false gods, and, and then the next king decided he, he was better than the word of God and decided to make himself God, and you see all that kind of stuff going on. You see this, this warring, but the Spirit of God came on. Now, the good news for the church and what the church is today is that the Holy Spirit was poured out, and you now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, 
See, what we think and what we believe sometimes about that is that, that somehow you have an excuse to, that, 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 that once, you, once you're saved, once you come into relationship with Jesus, and once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and let's say you have, you got, you've got your prayer language, your spiritual gifts are manifesting, um, that, that somehow you become immune to, to having to be obedient, to bring kingdom. And the Lord's mercy can be upon you for a season, but at some point your disobedient heart is going to get dealt with by God. Because he's not going to let a son or daughter of God misrepresent him very long till he brings correction. And, and what grace is, grace and you hear it all the time, so I hope you can say it. Grace is God's power that lives in us. It's His Spirit. It's His presence that lives in us, that gives us ability above what we can do on our own to actually carry out kingdom. That's all it is. It's the Spirit of God that gives us power to carry the kingdom out. And so those that are filled with the Spirit, they don't get a pass. They get they get this challenge that I've already given you the power, but you be successful. It, it actually is more accountability, not less. And see, so we kind of twist that up a little bit because God is living in you. He, he wants you to succeed. He's given you the ability to, to succeed. Listen, listen to what I mean. If you didn't have the Spirit of God in you, you wouldn't be able to really discern what was right and wrong. You, you wouldn't be able to discern what an evil spirit was or a good spirit. You know, because God lives in you and because the Word of God is true, and if you've got any of this Word in you, you'll be able to tell, that's not quite right. I'm not really sure why that's not quite right, but, you know, you, you can't even... You can't even come up with a set of laws outside of the scripture. Murder, rape, you know, anything like that. Why is that wrong? It's wrong because it's anti-kingdom. It, because it aligns itself with hell. And we know it whether we're saved or not. But those of us who saved, we now have the power to not do it. We have the power over sin and death. We can choose life. You choose. So, so as a believer, the you choose says, I've given you the power to be successful. You choose. The old believer, the Old Testament believer was like, what am I going to do? I don't have the power. We've got the power. So, we have to understand that breaking the alignment, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily separate us eternally from God, although you can read in Scripture and you can see it. There's a word in Scripture. It's called an apostate. And it's a very hard thing to become. You have to renounce Christ. You have to renounce the faith. You have to believe that there's another God. That, that's, that's a difficult thing to do, I believe. That it's difficult. But I believe it's probably going to become more common in this age. But there are, there are traditions that don't even believe that you can be apostate because you were never in the family at all. 
But why would you come up with the word apostate in Scripture if there wasn't one? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't get how people come up with these kinds of this stuff because we, what we do is we don't like that God. We, we wouldn't do it that way. And, and so we make up our own system. And, and there's this thread in theology that's woven from Genesis to Revelation, and we start with our system, and we try to make that thing align with our system versus just taking what's on the page and saying, I just might not be big enough to understand the God who created all things. And so i got to know everything before I can actually serve a God who created all this stuff. Well, let me just tell you that that is not going to happen in your lifetime. But we can know God and we can love God and we can become what he created us to be. We can have authority. We can have dominion over this earth and every satanic force that comes against the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. We can have the power to have dominion over every satanic force that comes against us on this earth by the grace of God. We say, well, what about the guy that died of cancer? Or what about the guy? God doesn't look at death like you do. You see, we look at death and go, oh, man, that's a bummer. God looks at death and like, come on home, son. Come on home to the love of God. Come on home to eternity. Open your eyes to the fullness of who I am. Here it is. Let me show you. Before, you looked in a mirror dimly. Now, face to face. Face to face. We don't, we don't, we don't get it. Jesus taught us that breaking alignment hinders the possibilities of the promise. The promise only comes, the promises of God only come with alignment with His will. It's all over Scripture. If you do this, <laughs> if you align yourself with me, if you carry out, if you do the Word, then I will do this. And not only that, but the Word in truth will actually carry that thing out. It'll actually get it done. Look what Isaiah says. He says this in 66.2. I just had to, to give you this, this foundation. My hands have made both heaven and earth, says the Lord. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts. Say that with me out loud. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts, who tremble at my word. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Listen to this. This just gives you, this gives you a picture of the kingdom. This gives you what how God thinks. Peter writes to the church, says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives power to do more than they can do on their own to the humble. 
I, I'm going to read this in the, in the Amplified. I, I love the way it's written. Likewise, you who are younger and of lesser rank, that means maturity-wise spiritually, be subject to the elders, the ministers, and spiritual guides of the church, giving them due respect and yielding to their counsel. Clothe, put on an apron over yourselves, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility as the garb of a servant so that its covering cannot possibly be stripped from you with freedom from pride and arrogance toward one another. For God sets himself against the proud. Stop. Who's he writing to? Who's he writing to? The church. He's writing to the church. What's God do? Sets himself against the proud. Sets himself against the proud. So do you want to fight God? If you want to fight God as a believer, think you know better than the Word. Think your way is, is a better idea. God, I, I heard what you said here, but I've got this creative solution that that doesn't align with what you've told me to do, that I think I'm going to implement first and see if that works and see what happens. He says, <laughs> he opposes. He opposes. God sets himself against the proud, the insolent, the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, the boastful. And he opposes, frustrates, and defeats them, but gives grace, favor, blessing to the humble. For Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, Samuel was talking to Saul and he says, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen. Obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. So let me just tell you a story. I'm going to get into this. i got five minutes. Somebody say hallelujah. <laughs> There's a story between Saul and David. And it's, you know, the story of Saul actually starts in 1 Samuel chapter 9, and you, you need to go home and, and just read that whole thing. It's, it's a beautiful story, but the, there's, some, there's so much stuff in it. So much stuff. There's a point in, in this whole story that God says, I regret the day that I, that I made Saul king. And you go, wait a minute. Why does God regret the day that he made Saul king? Well, you have to understand that, that God was giving the people what they were asking for. He, he wasn't saying, this is my best. He, his best was, I'm the king. <laughs> God, not Alex. God's saying that he's the king. That's his best. But he didn't even give the best. He gave the qualifications that were set out to him in prayer by the people. And what he's saying with that is, I'm sorry that I even answered that prayer. I'm sorry I even moved into that. It's just, he, he's, he's, he's not going to change it. It's just he hates the results because the results don't bring about what his best is for the whole 
whole kingdom. But even with that, when he had Samuel anoint Saul, he said, do this to Saul because Saul, what I'm going to use Saul for is to defeat the Philistines. So even in his disdain toward the heart of Saul, he still used Saul to accomplish kingdom stuff. But at some point, he just got wore out at, at Saul's heart. And let me, let, me, let me just tell you this. God already knew Saul's heart. That's why Saul got chosen. Because he was giving the people what they were asking for. And so he knows Saul's heart, and he knows what Saul is going to do. He's not playing it by ear again in this particular circumstance. And so he's got, he's got Saul there, and, and what Saul does is Saul, um, God says, I want you to wait here, and, uh, and, and I want you to wait on the prophet. When the prophet gets there, we're going to rally the people. We're going to have a worship service. It's going to be great. We've got, I, my presence is going to come down, and, and, and we're going to go forward. That's, that's the plan. Well, God knew that the plan wasn't going to get carried out, but that, that's the thought of the plan. Well, Saul gets tired of waiting on God. Anybody ever got tired of waiting on God? And then started, it started doing your own thing, your own way? I'm tired of waiting on you, God. I've been praying about this and asking you to do this. But since you're not obviously going to do anything, then somebody's got to do something. Anybody ever thought that? They got Saul in big trouble because Saul thought his way was better. And he didn't follow the words of the Lord. And so Samuel writes right here, what he, and so he sacrifices not waiting on Samuel. And, and, and the thing that God wanted to do, he didn't do because Saul got out in front of God. And then Samuel comes and says, obedience, Saul, is better than you, you doing your own thing, even if you're sacrificing to God, even if you have your own worship service. You can worship and sing to God and pray and do all your stuff all day long, but if you refuse to walk in obedience to God and the Word, you're not going to reap kingdom. Is kingdom better than sacrifice? I'm reminded Offer yourselves as a living, holy, and pleasing to God, right? Which is better? And how do you do that? You offer yourself in obedience to God. You don't come to church. You don't lift your hands. You don't sing. That's good. You do that as an expression because God wants you to do it because he knows that that you're going to get rejuvenated, that you're going to become in a place, a position where you can actually hear the Word, where it actually can take root and, and you can be built up in your inner man. But what he's interested in is whether you have a heart to obey him. That's important to God. That's what he cares about. And what Saul, and he knew about Saul, Saul didn't have that heart. Matter of fact, when God didn't move like he thought, he started, he started going to mediums. He would go to the palm reader 
in our culture. He would go, he would go to the horoscope. He, he would go to the worldly way of thinking and doing. He would, he would take that advice and he would begin to try to implement that. And the Lord, it says about that he did the same thing that Peter says. He said he, he sent a, a, a spirit on Saul. Who did it? God did it. Wait a minute. You're saying God sent an evil spirit. It's in the book. It's pretty plain. I don't get that. Neither does the preacher. But you don't have to get it. You just got to know God's God. I don't have to try to explain it away because I don't, I don't like that nature of God or I'm uncomfortable or how does that marry with this? You know, people come up with all those conclusions, but, and I can tell you what they are, but I, I'm going to tell you this. Here's my posture. God, you're God and I'm not. And I don't have one iota of an idea that I'm ever going to come to a conclusion of who you are in your fullness. But God, right now I say yes. My yes is yes. And if I see it in the Word, Lord, I'm going to posture myself that way. That's what I'm going to do. I'm determined to do that. I'm an ignorant, finite human being compared to you, Lord. And without your Spirit, I can do nothing. And so I'm dependent on that. I'm dependent on your Spirit to do that. And so Saul in his in his pride, had a heart that brought about a curse. It's interesting, isn't it? And then there's David that's there the whole time. And God says, go get this young boy right here. Here's my, that's my boy. Now, if you look at David's life and you look at Saul's life and you compare the foopaws that Saul had and the foopaws, is that a word? Fopaws. I was just trying to make it across the southern, uh, northern, in the northern hemisphere. That was the northern way to say faux pas. Or that's either Italian or something. I don't know. Faux pas. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So anyhow, no matter how bad Saul messed up, David's messed up seemed a lot worse than me. I mean, David messed up. I love David. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for David. David messed up all the time. He did some stupid stuff. But his heart was, oh, that's me? Oh, my goodness. Sackcloth and ashes. Repent immediately and get right with God. Lord, I just want to serve you. I didn't know. Lord, I was unaware. I didn't see that in me, God. Lord, I'm sorry. Help me, Lord. Agree with you. And God says about David after he committed murder and adultery, after he had an illegitimate child to somebody else's wife, God said, there's a man after my heart. Why? Because his heart wanted to be obedient. There's one thing that David had that Saul didn't have. A desire to serve the Lord with all his heart. Lean not on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I will add all this stuff. Align yourself with me. Everything about God says align yourself with me. And so our goal, our goal in this season, this fall season, this, this, this Thrive Group season, as we go into Thrive Groups, is we want to give you some right information. Our desire is to give you right information. Now, in a congregation like this, and we've got 1,000 people watching every week, there are so many ideologies about, about worship. And they're given to us by our parents. They're given to us by our families. They're given to us by all kinds of traditions. We've got all kinds of traditions. It says, this is, this is how you worship God. No, this is how you worship God. And what we find is we've got people that, that are really, really moving into this place they call worship of emotionalism. Man, I love emotion. I cry every Sunday. I mean, I'm just like, eh. Worshiping the Lord, my heart is soft. I, I want to be taught by God. So emotion is part of how you were created. It is the image of God. You see all over Scripture that God's an emotional God. He has emotion. And so emotions aren't bad, but, but if, you don't put the, if you don't have the Word and you're not basing things off the Word, then, then you've, got a, you've got a messed up view. And so you want to emotionally engage with truth. Those who worship me in spirit and in truth. And so it's not one or the other. And if you start following fads, then you're going to get messed up. Because it becomes this emotional roller coaster that you're on. And people start dropping like flies because they're not basing their lives on the Word. They don't know the Word and they aren't committed to it. And so therefore they bear the same kind of fruit that sin bears. Sin bears fruit. There's nothing you can do about it. It's going to bear fruit. You're going to bear the fruit of the seed that you plant. So in our small groups, what we're doing is, is we want to come together and we want to come up with, with and, and this is a, this is not, this is not the end all. This is not, this is not the last word. This is not everything that God has. But it gives you a solid foundation on what he says about how he wants to be worshipped. It gives you the information that you can now begin to come to God and have an understanding on why he says, worship me like this. And all the things that they mean. And why he set it up. And all the things in scripture that he set up point to something about his character and his nature. And about who you are in him. And so we're going to do this book called How to Worship a King. It, 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 it describes who we are as a church. It describes this, this freedom in expression. This understanding that verbalizing the word of God actually brings kingdom. But you've got to speak the word of God out. You can't just think it in your heart in your heart, although it helps to think it in your heart. You've got to begin to say it. You've got to begin to speak it. That's what it means when Jesus says, meditate on the word day and night. Begin to just say the word as you go. Speak the word as you go. 
So we're going we're gonna to do this in every small group. We're going to do how to worship a king. And as, as Brandon said last week, um, that's going to take on different, that's going to take on different uh, forms. Our, our prophetic painting is going to be painting, you know, uh, pictures that are based on how God said worship and, and, and the different articles in the temple and, and different things like that as they discuss what God's saying in the book. The men's group, what they're going to do is they're going to they're gonna take this book, and, and, and men, it's on, it's on audio as well. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. It's on audio. <laughs> say it again, hallelujah, men. I'm not convinced. Okay. The men's group, they're going to take this book, and, and in the beginning of the still, they're just going to talk about, you know, what God said in the book. And then they're going to con just continue what they've been doing. Uh, and that's getting in the Word and what God's saying in that. There's going to be this, this just flow. We're just going to put this into the mix as we go forward so we'll all be on the same page and understand how to worship a king. What's God ask? I don't care what tradition says. Although tradition is good. We're creating new traditions now, but I don't want to get caught in a fad. I want to take what God is showing great worship leaders, which I think there are some incredible worship music being written by incredible people right now. I want to take the, the, the good stuff out of that, and I want to compare it to what God says in His Word that's revealed in this book, but what He says in His Word. I want to marry those two, and I want to build my life on that. And it doesn't matter to me then if so-and-so falls. It doesn't matter then if they deny their faith. It doesn't matter if somebody has a problem with hell. It doesn't matter if somebody wants to, if wants to say that homosexuality isn't a sin. It, it doesn't matter if somebody takes a point of view that they can't be a Christian if, if we don't support the rights of women to have abortions. Those are some heavy topics. And I don't think you can have... I don't think you can have those points of view and understand what the Word says. I don't think that you can have a point of view that it's okay to kill a baby in the womb and not think there's going to be consequences for those sins. Or to wink at those who do believe those kinds of things. You, you better know the Word of God in this generation. And those are tough, those are tough subjects. But buddy, church, they are they are everywhere. And there is a fight against the kingdom of God right now. And you have dominion over it. And how do you have dominion? One way. You've got to agree with the word of God. Period. End of statement. Or you align yourself with hell. And God did never, never, never intended for you to align yourself with hell. He made provision from the foundation of the world to redeem all that so that you could have life and have it abundantly. Yeah? Somebody say, oh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father. Father, help us not sell out. Help us not take the bait. Help us not, Lord, agree with other philosophies of men. Father, give us a passion for your word. Your spirit's in us, God. 
You've given us the power to have a passion for your word. We know it holds, it holds the words of life and death. It's the truth. It's the way. It's the life. Thank you for a group of people whose answer is yes. I thank you, God, to be able to do life with a group of people who answer, whose answer is yes. But Lord, there's only one way to carry out that yes. Grace. It's by your grace through faith. Faith in your word, faith in your way, and the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us to carry it out and have dominion over all hellish forces. Father, you're in partnership with your sons and your daughters. You're in partnership with the ambassadors of Christ. You're in, you're in partnership with your priests to have dominion on this earth, to bring kingdom in every arena. I thank you, God, for that power. I thank you, God, for that understanding. I thank you, Lord, that we know that we're dependent upon you, that we can do nothing without you, but nothing is impossible with God. It was given to be in relationship with you. So, Father, we bless your name. We honor you. We thank you that you're good. We thank you that you're good. We thank you, God, that all things work together for good for those who love you and are obedient to your word and who carry out your purpose to bring dominion, kingdom to earth. Thank you for that, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.